We've been talking about the promises of God because it is my conviction that the promises of God, thus saith the Lord, those things that we can count on from Him are the remedy for a broken spirit. Uh, several months ago, I was reading through uh, those opening chapters of Exodus, and it was one of those moments where the people of God refused to move forward. And in fact, we looked at this passage together, and they refused to move forward. They refused to believe. And I expected it to be because they were rebellious, because they were sinful, uh, because their lives were in rebellion against God. But it wasn't. The text tells us it's because they were worn out from the heaviness of their lives. And they had a difficult time believing because of that. And, and that became a conviction on my life, a conviction on my heart that said, listen, we are probably living in one of those ages where we have a difficult time moving forward spiritually because we are exhausted and we are living under a broken spirit. And I believe that the same remedy that was the remedy for the people of Israel then is the same remedy that it is for us today. And that is the voice and the promises of God. And so we continue to take a look at these promises that God speaks into our lives. This morning we look at one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture. It's the 23rd Psalm. In fact, as they put that up on the screen this morning, can we read that together? Would that be all right with you? Cool, we're going to do it anyways. Uh, Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord yeah, you got that. What a wonderful, powerful, profound word that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a great exclamation point. I will tell you that as I read that passage of Scripture, as we read it out loud, as I read it in the first service, that alone, just letting those words pour over us, is the equivalent of what it says in this passage where he anoints our head with oil. It's just this refreshing experience. As we take a look at this passage, we want to begin with a question, so what is the promise? The promise really begins where it is found there in that opening verse. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, a couple of things for you to notice in that statement, that the Lord is my shepherd. I want you to notice that when it says Lord, that's another name for God. But I always want you to notice when we see this in Scripture, that the word Lord is in all capital letters. It's not your eyes playing games on you. It is a signal there that that word Lord is the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word Yahweh. It is the name that God gave of himself to Moses. 
It says, I am that I am. It is the giant, great, sacred name. In fact, it was so profound and it was so sacred for the people of Israel that they refused to speak it. In fact, they refused to even write it out because it was so other. It was so holy. It was so distant. It reminded us that God is so big, so large, so awesome, so powerful, so profound, so different than us that it kind of makes us to fall on our face and recognize how awesome and great God is. And there's a part of that that makes us feel like, man, that's who God is and I'm, I'm this. Because that's the greatness of the unspeakable God and it's just little old me. And I will tell you that there are times when we look at the greatness of God and our conclusion is that it's just little old me, that that's one of our most theologically accurate moments. <laughs> because it is the incredible awesomeness of God and just little old me. But at the same time, this verse says that the Lord is my shepherd. You see, that very awesome, great, grander, beyondness God is also a shepherd who cares for the intimate details of my life. In fact, he's not just a shepherd. He's not just the shepherd. He is my shepherd. And because of that, the promise that we can have, because the Lord is my shepherd, the awesome greatness of God is my shepherd. Therefore, the promise is that our God doesn't miss a spot. We have a countertop in our house. It's kind of the go-to countertop. It's kind of the center of our house. We, we, we kind of prepare meals uh, at that spot. We unload the groceries in that spot. We eat our meals in that spot. Uh, I come home and dump my keys in that spot. It, it, it's the spot that's just kind of the center of the house. And because it does so much work, it, it needs to be cleaned on a pretty regular basis. So we pull the 409 out, spray spray it and then you take your rag and you clean it all up and you, you get all of it and done like that. But there's something about that countertop that is so large and there is a giant couple of doors that have sunlight pouring in. And it's a guarantee that no matter how hard you worked on getting all of that countertop, you're going to walk by in three to five minutes and say, I missed a spot. How did I miss that spot? It's guaranteed you're always going to miss a spot. Isn't it the same way when you, when you wash your car? That, I mean, you go out there for hours and you make sure that you've gotten everything. You've got every product that Turtle Wax has ever made. You, you're working on all, or Meguiar's, whatever your brand is. You're working on that. You get the tires. You get the chrome. You're digging in there with a toothbrush. You're getting everything. And I mean, it looks spectacular. You want to call neighbors over to take a look at how clean your vehicle is. And then after you go in and clean yourself up, you walk out there's this giant section on the passenger door that you just completely miss. Like, how did I miss that spot? You might have cut the grass yesterday. And again, you got the weed eater out, you got the blower out, you got the edger out, you got the riding mower out, you got the, 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 the detail mower out, you got all kinds of things out there. And I mean, it looks great. But when you pulled out of the driveway this morning, right there in the middle of the front yard, is a whole line that you missed. You know, 
How, how did I miss that spot? There are times that we just miss the spot because we can't cover everything. And we're not perfect. But there are also times that we worry that maybe God misses a spot too. Maybe there's some part of life. Maybe there's some part of the universe. Maybe there's some part of my experience that God's just not going to get to. I mean, he's a busy God. There's an awful lot of things going on, and maybe he's just not going to get to this one part of my life. Maybe this part of my life is too big. Maybe it's too small for his notice. Maybe it's too secret. Maybe it's too broken. Maybe it's too all kinds of things. I, mean, I know God will take care of me. I know God will do this. But, but we've got this one little circle that we worry that maybe God isn't able, willing, or attentive enough to get this one spot. I want you to know that this great psalm tells us that our God never misses a spot. Let's dig in. The first thing I want you to notice here is I want you to notice that God provides in those perfect days. Now, back in the day, we used to collect photo albums. You put all the pictures in. Well, really, we didn't really collect photo albums. We had a stack of pictures that we were going to put uh, in a photo album. And then we had these brand new photo albums that had never been opened. But those two stacks existed. We don't do that as much today. What we have is that we have the opportunity to put some nice slideshows on our screens. And in fact, it's one of my favorite things in my office or even at the house to have a nice slideshow set up. Now, what you do is you choose those pictures carefully uh, to put in there. And you put a whole series of pictures in there that are just some of the great days. You know, you got pictures of some graduations. You got some pictures of some uh, birthdays. You got some pictures of some vacations. Uh, Susan and I have a picture of when we stood on either side of the prime meridian in England that, that splits the world uh, in half. We've got some pictures. Uh, we've been going on these little trips that you go to the highest point in a state. We've picked all the easy ones. But we've got some pictures, you know, from the highest point in Louisiana, the highest point in, in Florida. Right now I'm higher than the highest point in Florida. Florida. Uh, but but we, we picked those uh, pictures. Uh, we, we have some pictures. Well, there's one or two pictures from Disney World. Uh, there, there, there's a picture or two from, from a downtown uh, Hammond. There's pictures at the beach. There's all those kinds of things. And when we look at those pictures, we remember those days and say, oh, that was great. That, that, that was fantastic. Oh, I, I, I can taste that. I, I can feel that. Oh, man, wouldn't it be great to go back to those days? We love those things. Now, if you had the ability to create a slideshow for your spiritual life, what would it look like? What would a slideshow of your spiritual life look like? There are some great days there. It may be the time and the place that you first heard about Jesus. It may be the time and the place where you yielded your life to Jesus and received salvation. It may be a time and a place where you received some answered prayers. Maybe it's in a hospital waiting room. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe who knows what it is, but there's an answered prayer. There's a season of the flooding of joy into your life. It's a moment when the bondage falls off of our life. 
life. It's a moment when we experience deep encouragement that can only come from God. It's new relationships that we have in Christ that build us up. It's a brand new identity that it doesn't matter who you used to be. You are now in Christ. And to have a slideshow of those moments and say, that was awesome. That was great. Those were great days. David kind of gives us a little bit of a slideshow. He talks about the movement of God in his life. Notice how David describes them. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Oh man, that was a good day, man. A nice meadow there. And God just came and said, David, relax. Rest. He says, he, says he leads me beside the still waters, when, when, when they're just kind of, the, the rapids and all the kind of foaming stuff, he says, here's a good quiet spot that is safe to drink. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Oh man, those are great. Now here is my prayer for you today, church. Here is my prayer for you, believer in Christ. Here is my prayer for you, is that you are close to one of those spiritual days right now. To your salvation, to the flooding of joy, to some answered prayers, to some bondage falling off, to some deep encouragement, to new relationships that build you up, to discovering your identity in Christ. I pray that you are coming out of one of those. I pray that you are going into one of those. I pray that you are smacked dab in the middle of one of those right now. That is what our God provides for us. Those great kinds of days, they are found in him and they count. But at the same time, you and I know that they're not the only days that we face, are they? You see, this passage of scripture also tells us that God provides in the unspeakable days as well. It's not just those perfect days. It's not just when I, when I laid down in the green pastures. It's not just the still waters. It's not just the restoring of my soul. But it's also in those days that are almost unspeakable. He says in verse 4, he says, Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Boy, does this resonate with us in our lives. It was just 10 days ago that I was at my mom's funeral. It was just 10 days ago that after performing almost 200 funerals in my life of ministry, that I sat under the tent for the first time as the grieving one. And that pastor, Pastor Philip Ham from First Baptist Church, Palmetto, ministered to our family. And he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Those are hard days. Some of you in this follow-up time have come to me and shared with me some of your loss and some of the loss of your parents and some of the hard things that you've gone through in terms of grief and the encouragement that we receive when we know that our shepherd doesn't miss a spot 
And he shows up even in those times of grief. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. There's an alternative translation to this phrase here, though. Because the most common phrase is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There are some folks that would argue that a different way to translate this is that, yea, though I walk through the deepest of darkness. There's just a little bit of a discrepancy in how they unpack that phrasing. I gotta tell you, that there's something inside of me that resonates with kind of understanding that grief isn't the only darkness that we ever walk through. And that God's provision for us, God's defeat of evil, God's comfort for us is not just limited to those days under the funeral tent. But it incorporates, encompasses all kinds of darkness that you and I find ourselves in, in our lives. And he says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. There's a little bit of a note right there and I haven't finished understanding this passage. And I, I just got to tell you that I, I haven't finished understanding this. But when you look at this passage of Scripture, God is the subject of every single sentence in this psalm. He leads me. He guides me. He directs me. He prepares a table. He anoints my head with oil. He does all of these things. But in verse 4, who is the subject? It's me. Now, I want to walk carefully here because I'm not saying that every hard place that you've ever found yourself in is because you wandered off. But I also can't flip that and say that we never wander off and put ourselves in some hard places. Sometimes we find ourselves in deep darkness or the shadow of death because it's a self-inflicted moment. Not every time. But we also have to put that on the table. But don't miss this. I will fear no evil because you are with me. Whether it was circumstances that put me there, whether it was God that led me in that place, or whether I put myself in that place. He says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. In fact, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, we're so familiar with that that it doesn't really catch us, but how many of you have curled up for a nap and called from across the room and said, hey, babe, could you throw me that stick? No, you, you, you want that cozy comforter. You, you, you want to find where you, where you left the Snuggie. Anybody still using a Snuggie? You, you, you want to find something... Re really, really comfortable. The rod and the staff, they comfort me. That's a stick. That's a hook. But it's a comfort because it reminds us of the presence of God. You see, that rod and that staff, it fights off those predators that would do us harm. And that rod and staff sometimes poke us and pull us back into place as we need to be pulled back into place. It is a comfort to know that your shepherd will pull you back when you need to be pulled back. 
In fact, that some of what Michael, wherever Michael is, Michael, there he is, he's in the back. Some of what Michael talked about last week when he talked about being yoked with Jesus. That we have a tendency as a young bull to say, I'm going to go this way, or I'm going to go this way, but it's being yoked to Jesus. Says, no, you stay right here. You stay with us. You stay here. The rod and the staff, they comfort me. One other part of the unspeakable days, he says, you prepare a table before me. Now, I love it when anyone prepares a table before me. It, it, it's one of my favorite things is when someone prepares a table before me. Our, our college students had someone prepare a table before them this morning, some of the best bacon I've had in a while. I mean, that was really fantastic. That was great. Um, you know, Sunday plus bacon, man, what a great day. Um, but it's always great when someone prepares a table before us, but it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When we are alone and the only people on the horizon are the people who seem like they're out to harm us. Our shepherd is there in the valley of the shadow of death. He is there when we walk through deepest darkness and he is there when it seems like the only other people around are the people who are out to get us. You know what's interesting in this passage? There's another thing that just happens with the grammar here a little bit. But if you notice the beginning of the passage, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. He directs me. He makes me to lie down. And at the end of the passage, it says, you prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. You do these things. Do you know when it switches from he to you? It's in the valley. That's when we move from knowing about God to having a relationship with God. And that's why we pray that even in 2020, as horrible and as difficult and as upsetting of a year as it has been, it has been a year in which we have the opportunity to not just know about God, but to know Him. And we may have started this year talking about He leads me, He guides me. But it is my prayer that you will finish this year saying, but you are with me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. There's one more part that I need to unpack here. And that is that God provides for the unseeable days. You see, we've talked about the everyday. We've talked about the great days. We've talked about the hard days. But you know what sometimes is for many of us even more difficult than even the hardest day? It is the worry about the next day. You see, some of you right now may be in the middle of some really hard days, but you know what? You got it together enough to be here this morning. And it's hard, and you're really not sure if you can hold it together much longer, and you are just kind of working on fumes, but you are here. You've made it. You're hanging in there. But here's the worry, here's the concern. But I don't know if I can take one more call. I don't know if I can handle one more bill. I don't know if I can handle one more person who disappoints me. I don't know if I can handle one more doctor's appointment. I don't know if I can handle one more difficult conversation. I don't know if I can handle one more piece of bad news. You see, what's next, what's around the corner, what we can't see, that's the thing that really, really puts our life at vulnerability, isn't it? 
what might happen this afternoon or next week or even a decade from now. That's the stuff that maybe locks us up more than anything else. But this passage of scripture tells us that our shepherd says, I have what is next as well as I have what is now. He says, all the days of my life. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I love this image that he has here. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, I've never been followed. Have you ever been followed? Well, maybe I just don't know that I was followed. Maybe they were really good at following. I don't think that I've ever been important enough to be followed. But I love this image here. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And so I can walk through life and every once in a while I glance back. It's goodness and mercy. And I can walk over this direction and just kind of glance back. It's goodness and mercy. And I walk over here. It's goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy is following me all the days of my life. How great is that? And I walk this direction. I walk that direction. And every time I look back, surely goodness and mercy is following me all the days of my life. The picture here is almost of a parade. It's a parade. And I want you to see this parade. At the front of the parade is the shepherd. At the front of the parade is Jesus. It says, he leads me besides still waters. He guides me. He directs me. You know that the image of the shepherd in biblical times is they led from the front. And so there is the shepherd up front and I follow the shepherd and then goodness and mercy follows me behind. And so we parade through life. I follow the shepherd. There's me and behind me is goodness and mercy. And so we walk through goodness and mercy and there's Jesus in front of me and goodness and mercy and Jesus in front of me. But there's a small danger we keep looking back to goodness and mercy. I mean, who doesn't like goodness and mercy? No, I like goodness and mercy. The danger is that I kind of turn the parade around and I start following goodness and mercy and say, Jesus, you keep it up? And I begin to follow goodness and mercy. Let me tell you, the parade doesn't work that way. It only works when we follow Jesus. So it's Jesus, it's me, and goodness and mercy. And if we make the mistake of trying to follow goodness and mercy and hope that Jesus keeps up, it just doesn't work. If you turn that thing around, it's like trying to back up your car halfway returning to the rental car when they got those spikes that pop up. You can't do it, don't do it. It's Jesus, then us. And then goodness and mercy follow us for all the days of our life. When we follow him and we seek his patterns, his priorities, and his purpose, then he covers all the unseeable days and all that is next. You know, the image of the shepherd is so present in all of scripture. It's throughout Almost every part of the Bible, there's shepherd stories. Can I just tell you one more shepherd story today? The question that we may be wondering, the question that you may be wondering is, how, how does he become my shepherd? 
I mean, we know that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and all of these promises that roll down from that. But how is it that he becomes my shepherd? He becomes my shepherd. He becomes your shepherd when he rescues your life. Listen to the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. It says, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled and saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go, over, go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Is it possible this morning that you're the one? Is it possible that in a room full of many people who have followed Jesus as their savior, their rescuer of their life, is it possible that, that you're on the outside looking in and that you've never allowed Jesus to come and rescue you? How does he become my shepherd? We just say, rescue me, I'm lost. Would you come and rescue me? We will allow Jesus to come and pick us up and put us over his shoulders and carry us home to much rejoicing. I don't know the story of every person here. I don't know whether you've ever in your life asked Jesus to rescue you. to forgive you of your sins, to be in charge of your life, to tear down the wall that stands between you and God, for him to come and dwell inside of your life. What does it take to do that? It takes crying out, rescue me, save me. It's what one of the thieves on the cross said, with no promises to make, no works to offer, he calls out to Jesus in that moment and says, save me. I'm the lost one. Rescue me. We're going to pray in just a moment. But as we are praying, if that needs to be your call, if that needs to be your response, where you realize I'm the lost one, I need to be rescued I need to be picked up and carried. I need to repent. All it takes for you while we pray is from your own heart to pray to him and say, rescue me. Rescue me. I need rescuing. I am that lost one. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to be encouraged by your love and your care, the good shepherd that cares for us in the great days, in the unspeakable days, even in the unseeable days. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that that's who you are. 
Lord, I pray that we may be rooted in that truth. We may be reminded of that truth. But Lord, at the same time, Lord, if there's a lost one, that they would know that Jesus would leave the whole room of, of believers to find them. He's not satisfied with their lostness, but he will seek them and pursue them. And maybe today, this is the day that Jesus found them. And their response is as simple as rescue me. Lord, I pray this in your name.